0: it's a a great joy just to be able to come back and share a little bit more uh, from uh, the book of Revelation. Um, For those who have been here when when I've been talking about some of the other churches, you'll know that uh, we're um, talking uh, about uh, a word that has come from God uh, via uh, the prophet, uh, the apostle John. Uh, who has been stuck uh, in a a camp um, to um, prepare stones, probably, in a quarry um, for the Roman Empire. And so he's a slave. And uh, he's an old man. He's probably in his 80s or 90s, uh, and he is struggling uh, to... Cope, no doubt. Now, I don't know what, what you're like, but I'm getting over the age now that even digging the garden, uh, I'm looking for a, a, some redox or something like that afterwards uh, to deal with that. So you can imagine what it's like for this old man, and uh, he um, is there, and the Lord begins to speak to him uh, on the Lord's Day. He says, I, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in chapter 1, and uh, the Lord spoke to him and gave him... A message for the churches in Asia Minor. And each of the churches was sent a letter. And uh, that letter basically described how Jesus saw the churches. And uh, we're um, now uh, through to the, the church in Philadelphia. So let's pray before we begin uh, to look at this. Heavenly Father, we again give you thanks and praise for your goodness. We thank you for your word, which uh, you have described to us as being powerful, uh, like a two-edged sword. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you'll come today, that you will bring your word to your people, and that we, Lord, will be able to hear from you and be inspired, encouraged, directed, and given wisdom from your word. We thank you for your spirit of truth that leads us into all truth. And we ask, Lord, that that Holy Spirit of yours might be with us today and bring truth from your word to us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Now, Philadelphia um, probably was a a, a town or a city of about 2,000 people. And to give you some context on that, if you think of uh, the the town of Errol along the Castle Gauri there it's probably about 1500 people so it's slightly bigger than Errol and that gives you an idea of the, the town that, or the city that we're speaking about as I said to the young folks earlier on it's, it was prone to having earthquakes and lots of people had moved out of the city into rural areas to be a bit more safe uh, so that they weren't finding themselves uh, struggling with these earthquakes all the time they, they reckon that there's probably around about 800 Christians uh, in the city and in the area around Philadelphia, and uh, apparently there's been discovered the remains of about 20 churches where um, services were held in the city. Um, if you want to go and visit visit it now, it's in the the, the country of Turkey, modern day Turkey, um, and the. The name of the city has been changed to Allah-Shahiyah. And uh, so you'll find it there if you want to go on holiday. But you'll probably find that there's lots and lots of broken buildings and uh, so on of the old uh, age um, amongst some of the newer buildings of today. And it probably has a, a population now about 50,000 people or so. And uh, Philadelphia, uh, the name apparently means uh, one who loves his brother. And uh, it was named that by one of the earlier uh, leaders, rulers in the area who liked his brother a lot, obviously. And uh, so um, that gives you an idea, again, just a little bit of the background uh, to the place. And so when we come to to look at Philadelphia, uh, unlike many of the other churches in this list of churches that Jesus had communicated to, there was no criticism from Christ at all. Uh, when we come to look uh, at Philadelphia. It was very pleasing to God. Um, The the gospel had been preached in the area. Paul, in in Acts 19, um, he uh, was said to have gone to Asia Minor, um, and all of the cities, all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. If you you look at that uh, scripture there, you'll find uh, evidence of that. And so the, the gospel was not new uh, specifically to uh, the area Paul had been there and others uh, had been there as well to preach and so there is no reproof coming to, to Philadelphia uh, just like Smyrna um, it had no negatives given to it by Jesus but um, there is a God in heaven of course who has, uh, is described here as one who has eyes like blazing fire um, and surely if there had been something that he wanted to point out to the city and to the church within the city, he would have pointed it out because he can see everything, every detail uh, of um, what is going on. And so he, it is for us today, of course, in our own church here at St. Peter's, when we consider um, that Christ can see every detail uh, of our lives, our lives as individuals, our lives as churches, um, that is uh, a challenging moment when we think of that and so here we go we're beginning uh, at the at cha- chapter 3 verse 7 it says here to the angel uh, or to the minister or the messenger or the pastor it can be described as well of the church in Philadelphia write these words of him who is holy and true and holds the key of David who, who What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So, first of all, it tells us here that this person that's that's sending the message, Jesus Christ Himself, is holy and true. And that's one thing that we need to take into consideration uh, as we read this. He is the one who is holy. He is the one who is true. And If you look back into the book of Isaiah chapter 6, you'll find that um, the, the prophet began to see a vision there of God and the vision was of God being holy. The angels or the seraphs who were around the throne at the time began to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they began to describe Jesus, God, in His holiness. And so we have a holy God. He's not one who is indulgent in the sense that um, we can manage to, by slight means, to slip our sins past him somehow uh, and he can't see them. We can't hold them like we might have hidden something from our dad or our mom behind our back and uh, he will miss that. He has eyes that can see. He has burning flames for eyes that can see right through every situation, every heart that comes before him. And so he's not going to pass over our sins. He's not going to let some slip past as we might want him to do. Or you won't notice that one, Lord, or that one's not big enough for you to see. But he sees everything about us. And uh, he comes with these eyes seeking to tell us that he remains holy and is holy for us as believers. Of course, with all of that, he also is anxious that we should be saved because our sins, of course, would be destructive to us if we were to stand before a holy God. But he's made it possible for us to be saved through what Christ has done uh, for us on the cross. But also, he tells us here, he is true. He is true. Now we know the truth. The Bible brings us the truth. We know that Jesus speaks the truth to us. But there's also the truth of being straight down the line, being direct with us as well. And that he is called the the, the cornerstone uh, of our lives, of the church of his people. And the cornerstone was set in place to give a true line from uh, the base on two directions, that way and that way, and then a true line upwards as well. And so the truth of God is not only about the facts that we are given, but it's also about the fact that he is not crooked in any way. And so we are, we have a true God. And this is what's coming through here as uh, the apostle John speaks uh, to his people. So. It goes on uh, here in chapter 3, verse 7, to talk about the one who holds the key of David. Now, sometimes quite challenging to know what that actually is referring to, but uh, if you look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 22, you'll find that there's reference there uh, to a guy called Shebna, and Shebna um, was kind of unceremoniously removed from his position as palace Steward, and he was replaced by a guy called Eliakim. And um, you can go back and read the detail of that. But the palace steward was the one who held the key to give access to all of the um, palace um, riches and, and the buildings and so on. He held a key. Now, it's not like the wee key that you have for the front door of your house uh, at the moment. or sometimes the key for your car, which you press a button and it opens up. This was a huge key, and it kind of, it was like, like almost like a scythe blade, a great long key, and it hung over the palace steward's shoulder and hung down under his robe. And um, he was able to, to push it through a gap in the door of the palace and push against a lever, and the doors would open. And he was the only one who could do that. And so he had to have not only the key, but he had to have the authority of the king to be able to use the key. And so when we talk about the key of David, in Isaiah 22 it says, I will place on his shoulder, this is talking about elijah I, like I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. When he opens, what he opens no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. And so, Here we are, we're coming with the same words in the book of Revelation uh, chapter 3. Here we have a key being described to us. It's a priestly key, and uh, we, through Christ, are given this key of access. It says here, no one could shut unless they had the relevant complex key and the authority to use it. And normally, people were locked inside the building. Um, in in uh, the Song of Solomon, you'll find reference to somebody trying to get access to the door. Um, it says there in Solomon, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 4, um, that, that, that there's a reference to someone trying to get access into the beloved, trying to get access into the house. And I don't know what was going on there fully, because you have to uh, try and read some poetic language into it, um, but the Song of Solomon declares that access was required uh, at the door where people are locked up inside. And so, Jesus has the key uh, in this book here. He is the one that's been given the key, and it tells us that he, he is the one who will open doors for us, and He is the one who will close them, and they will remain closed. If you look at McShane's uh, description of uh, these few verses and of of the key uh, that he speaks about here, he talks about a number of keys that are given to us in the church. He talks about the key of grace that is given to us. And uh, it tells us uh, that he can come and open the bars of that, that, that door that has been locked. The bars on our hearts. And sometimes there are so many challenging bars that have been um, placed over uh, our lives in one way or another. And uh, I was reading a a little story just the other day of a young man who had been captured uh, by the kind of transgender world uh, which is so common nowadays. And uh, he he had he was so broken and so in pain and so much lost in this world and and didn't know how to escape uh, from it and one day he was listening just to uh, some tracks on spotify um and he heard these words uh from one of the songwriters lord i give you my heart i give you my soul and the lord used these words just to To challenge him and to bring him to a place where he could cry out uh, to the Lord for help. And uh, the bars of his darkness, the bars of his cell uh, were opened and he began a, a journey to freedom. The powerful grace of Christ began to work in that young man's life. And what a testimony he has, if you read the testimony, a remarkable testimony of how freedom has come. Uh, to his situation. And it's a key of grace that has come into his life. Sometimes the bars that are over our lives are, are, are bars of, of the love of sin. Could be that. It could be pride that has come to us. It might be vanity of some sort. It could be the love of this world or the fear of man. But Jesus wants to come and bring the key of grace into our lives and to open the bars that have held us uh, locked up for so long. It could be some key of providence that God uses, uh, as McShane describes it. At times we feel our afflictions and troubles are too many, he says, and the door is shut uh, upon our lives and we can't escape. And yet he comes and he uses circumstances, He uses His providence to unlock the doors of our lives. Sometimes these providences can be tough. They can be hard. But they make us cry out to God somehow. And as we cry out to Him, He unlocks the doors for us. It can be a key of glory, uh, as McShane describes it. He says, we as believers will be glorified with Christ one day. We will behold His glory. And he said, now, we've got to be careful here that we don't say that we try to share His glory because it's not the sense of which we share the glory of Jesus, but that we share in the light of the glory and the power and the life that He brings to us. And so, we can have glory with Christ, a key of glory. It can be the keys of, the, of death and hell and the grave that come to us. One day, no matter what happens in this world, we will, as Christian believers, go to be with Christ in glory. He will break us out of death, and the, the keys of, the, of death and hell and the grave will be used to unlock our grave, and we will go to be with Him in glory. And so, it may be some key that God has given to you to open doors in your lives. We need to have the authority of Christ to use that and to open the doors in others' lives too. Then in verse 8, we read these words. I know your deeds... I know your deeds. Now, that's come up quite a number of times throughout these different um, sections of uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 1 to 3. But uh, our deeds can be indicative of where our hearts are at. You know, there's a scripture that says out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so sometimes what's going on in our heart can translate into our actions can translate into our words, and sometimes it can be pretty obvious where we're at. So our deeds can be indicative of our hearts, but our deeds can also trigger uh, something from God's judgment or from His calling. And in these two situations here, previously we spoke about sadness. It says there that we, I know your deeds, you are dead. And so it was, their deeds were indicative of the place they were at But here in Philadelphia, he says, I know your deeds and have a calling for you. I've got an open door that I want to put before you. And that may be something that God wants to speak to us about this morning, about having an open door ahead of us in order that we might step forward in faith and serve him. See, Christ knows every detail about our lives. He knows the challenges that we face. He knows every detail and circumstance in which we find ourselves. And he says he, here that he knows even more about this church. He said, I know you have little strength, but you have kept my word and not denied my name. You know, sometimes the, the, the sense of weakness that we feel is um, it sort of sucks power away from us, sucks energy away from us. And in Isaiah 42, it tells us this, that, God is the one who does not break a bruised reed or quench a smoking flax, but that he wants to empower and encourage and strengthen us. Now, it's true that God wants to break us in one way. He wants to break our will. He wants to take away that sense of of us being in control and powerful, but he wants us to, to know that that our soul is protected, that our soul is not going to be broken, that it's not going to be quenched. He wants to stir that flame uh, back to life again. He wants to strengthen that stock uh, and make it strong once again. And so he says if you've got little strength, he's going to be there to strengthen you. And keeping his word Is part of that. Um, Keeping His Word close to us at all times, uh, the the scripture encourages us to to bind it uh, onto uh, ourselves. So, keeping His Word is beneficial to us, and that will bring that strength to us. It's beneficial because His Word, the Psalms and Proverbs tell us that it's like a lamp to our feet. It's a benefit to the church because in 2 Timothy 3.16 we're told all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for good work. And so keeping God's Word is a benefit not only to ourselves but it's a benefit to the church maintaining His Word in our hearts and in our souls. And it's also a benefit for the community round about us. In John's Gospel, we're told, um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then it goes on to say, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. We're called to be that salt and light that uh, is uh, from God in the community. And we're called not to deny him, um, and that's crucial as well, not to deny Him. Because if we deny Him before men, the Bible tells us that He will deny us before His Father. And in the second part of, of verse 8, we see this. Uh, I've pl- placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Um, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept My word and not denied My name. And uh, there are many doors that God wants to use uh, and to open for us. Uh, in the Old Testament, we're, we're told of the Valley of Acor um, will become a door of hope. Now, the Valley of Acor is really describing God's burning anger, I understand. And uh, so, we, we through Christ are escaping that burning anger and it will become a door of hope that we can live and, and, and live for Christ through. Um, his burning anger will be gone from us If we repent and seek forgiveness That door of hope can be opened to us And the many years that, that have been destructive in the past Or the years that the locusts have eaten The Bible describes it Will then be restored to us again It can be a door of escape And uh, sometimes we're caught in a prison cell Like we described that young man earlier on this, Caught in some sort of prison and he wants to give us a door of escape to be free uh, from that, from the hand of the enemy. It can be a door of opportunity, and I think probably that's what's being described here in the book of Revelation. He's giving a door of opportunity to the church, open up, opening up a new vista of opportunity for them. And he's saying that there's, if, if I open this door for you, no one is going to shut it uh, in your face. And so there are many doors that can be opened and closed. And we trust the Lord will open appropriate doors for us to serve Him uh, in our lives today. Verse 9, it says here, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan and who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet. And acknowledge that I have loved you. These pseudo Jews appear again. They have appeared before in uh, these few chapters that we've been reading. They've appeared before and they're uh, a problem to the church. They're people who say they're one thing, but in actual fact, they're another. They are not uh, who they say they are, and they're troublesome. they keep keep turning up and causing trouble to the church infiltrating uh, the the church of Jesus Christ and and creating difficulties and trials and uh, if you you can think back uh, in the scripture to the book of Genesis you'll find there that that there is a battle that has begun uh, for us as believers a battle that has um, been as a result has come about as a result of the sin of mankind, true, but God tells us there that there is a, a, a battle to which will be ongoing throughout uh, the Scripture and throughout the history that's about to appear, and He says that the battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman being Jesus, the seed of the serpent being Satan. And that that battle will be ongoing throughout history. And as we look back, of course, we can see that. The battle began in Genesis chapter 3, if you like, when it was declared. But it it opened up right away. It didn't wait a few centuries till till we saw it. We saw it right away in in Genesis chapter 4, where um, Cain killed Abel. There's a battle going on there, a battle for what is right and what is true. In, the, in verse 6 of chapter 4, God says, and it says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And that we, we can we can see that battle going on, and it goes on in our hearts and in our souls. The battle continues on through the Old Testament, eventually comes in full force when Jesus meets the serpent in the wilderness. And uh, we, we see that, that, that Jesus is able to, to stand and use the Word of God to send the enemy away, send the, the devil away, the serpent away from him. And we also are called to use the Word of God uh, in that way as well, as a weapon, the sword of the Spirit as a weapon uh, to destroy the works of the evil one. And so that battle continues on to the cross. And uh, the battle, of course, that Jesus um, was, um, was was killed by um, the Roman guards, Roman soldiers who put him on the cross. And yet that wasn't the battle, the real battle that was going on. There was a battle going on in the heavenlies, and Jesus won that battle as He rose from the dead. But there's a situation that goes on in the run up to the cross, and it's the, the story of Peter and of Judas. And you'll see that there are two people there. Both came from the same stable. They were both disciples of Jesus. And if you want to see a little bit more of that, there's a wonderful sermon given here by Paul Clark a few years back when he spoke about that. And it's, I think it's still held on the, uh, the, the church website. And I would recommend you go back and see that. It's actually a superb way he describes it. But this battle going on, Peter um, fought a battle and, and was, it was in real trouble. Je- Judas gave in to the whole uh, circumstance that was around him and took the money and eventually died as a result of it. But Peter, Peter struggled. And Jesus said he prayed for him. Jesus said he prayed for him that he would have strength and that his faith would not fail. And, of course, eventually Peter comes back and becomes very central to the the ongoing development of the church and the new church in the Acts of the Apostles. And then that battle continues on into the book of Revelation where we are now. The serpent in Revelation becomes a dragon, really. And if you see, if you look on in the book of Revelation to the end, you'll find, I don't want to um, spoil the the end of the story for you, but um, he becomes a dragon. And, of course, Christ's victory is seen in that. And so, these Jews that we spoke about, these pseudo-Jews, had taken a side. They had gone with the works of the evil one, And that's an area that we've got to be very careful of ourselves, that we hear God speak to us on this. That when we come into a church situation, that we can choose um, to to go with the the criticisms and the the, the issues that the, the enemy would bring up, or we can choose to hear God's Word and to follow His Word and to hear what He's speaking to us. And so, I don't know if you remember the old hymn that we used to sing, I certainly used to sing it when I was at school, uh, who is on the Lord's side, who will serve the king? And that's kind of th- the thing that it's saying here. Who is on the Lord's side? Where will you go? Whose side will you be on in this battle? And so um, <clears throat> this uh, issue here is that they, these Jews are going to see something happen later on. It says that Um, Jesus says that I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you and so those of us who who stand strong with Christ who are strengthened by him to walk uh, will see that one day they will fall at your feet now don't misunderstand what it's saying it's not referring to the fact that um, as believers that we'll be worshipped as deities somehow it's not saying that at all But it is saying that when we come to be with Christ on his throne that those who have um, turned away and been obstinate in the church and, and have caused trouble will one day have to bow down before Christ. And because we are there with him we also will see that happen and receive that with him. And so... We will not be deities, but we will be with Christ himself on the throne. Verse 10, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So it's a test that's coming our way. This trouble that we uh, will experience is described here as a test and he's saying Jesus is saying to his church keep my command and endure patiently Um, we don't have to go out marching we don't have to hold up banners we don't have to to be uh, to, to do things as the world might do it but we have to keep his commands to do what he says we ought to do and endure patiently and he said I will keep you from the hour of trial And so Jesus has a special care for those who who keep his commands and and work patiently uh, and serve patiently um, for them. And he will ease the burden uh, that has been put upon us uh, in this test. And so there are many commands that Jesus has given us, not just Uh, what we read here in Revelation. There are many commands, and if you look through the Gospels and through the Epistles, you'll find that the the, the Scripture is full of commands that come. There's the Ten Commandments, obviously, which are clearly written for us, but there are many, many others that you will read. And so we need to hear His Word and keep His commands as we serve. There are numerous views in terms of what the hour of trial might mean, and uh, I'm not of a theological quality to be able to describe it in detail but I would say to you that some would say that it's passed already some would say that it will come uh, but the church won't experience it some will say well um, it's still to come Uh, there's all sorts of different descriptions of the hour of trial and so whatever the truth is on that um, here it's made clear to us that if we keep Christ's commands and endure patiently we will somehow be kept by God's providence uh, from the most severe effects of that but there is a test coming and it's important that we understand that that test comes uh, to us as his people verse 11 it says I am coming soon now many people will say "Well, that word soon surely doesn't apply this is 2000 years ago um, what does that mean? Well, of course, uh, the, as we said right at the very start, this whole uh, situation for uh, the, the church is an ongoing cycle of things that are taking place, and very often um, we have to see it for our generation. And so he's coming soon. He's coming soon to us. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. So we have a crown. It's been given to us. It's there for us so that no one can take it. Hold on a minute. Can somebody actually take our crown? Well, according to what it's saying here, it suggests that that is the case. Someone could take our crown. Here we're told that although Christ, uh, although Christians um, will weather the storm, we need to hold on to what we have. That is our walk with God. Some commentators suggest that the taking of the crown uh, means more accurately that someone will receive it from their, for themselves. In other words, it will go to someone else rather than to us. And so we must be careful to walk in God's ways and to hold on to what we have, to walk in the ways of Christ. And a good example of that might be um, where Jacob and Esau um, are... Um, dubiously working and Jacob receives Esau's inheritance deceptively. And so sometimes we need to consider that, that if we mess around, if we um, try to look look for the things of this world, someone else may well come along and take uh, our crown, that which is meant to be for us, but will be given to someone else. And then finally, in verses 12 and 13, to the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Now, this is the bit that I was speaking to the young people about earlier on. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. There's a sense of strength and power comes from that. I will write on them the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. We will be described. Everyone will know whose we are. Because we have his name written upon us. The new Jerusalem. Which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. My new name. Of course we've seen Christ described in many names. Go back to chapter 1. Um, You'll find many names that Christ has been described by. But his new name, he'll be be the risen Christ. And we, of course, will be with him, risen with him eh, in glory. So, overcoming or being victorious is a continual process in biblical terms. It will have an end, of course. We will come to an end of this physical life but now it 's an ongoing battle for us. The pillars are due to, uh, as I said earlier, to the regular earthquakes that took place were kept falling down but there 's an unshakability about christ 's temple. It means that it will remain standing, and we with him will remain standing matthew seven twenty four says this therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. So he's referring back to that when we talk about the pillars of the church, the pillars of God uh, strengthening us and making us strong in this life. There will be eternal pillars that will never go away. And he says, whoever has hears, ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we thank God for his, for his Word, that His Spirit speaks to us, and we pray that somehow that the Spirit of God will speak to us this day. We know from what we've read that Jesus knows every detail of our lives, including our sins, and that we can't sneak anything past Him by sleight of hand. We know that Jesus is the key to deal with the challenges uh, that dog our lives sometimes. And it may be that there are those listening to this who as yet don't know Christ. He is the one who can unlock the circumstances and the situations of your life if you come and trust in Him. Although our strength may be weak like this church uh, in Philadelphia, small and weak. We need to keep His Word and remain on the path that He set for us. As we keep His Word, we'll find out the doors of opportunity that will come open to us, opportunity to serve. Now, frankly, very often in the church, we're very happy to sit and wait until the Lord comes back. Um, Referring to the old hymn that says, Hold the fort for I am coming. But in actual fact, God wants to open service to us. He wants us to understand that he has called us to be involved and to serve him in whatever that calling might be. That even if the synagogue of Satan is set against us, we are called to continue. And if you've been in church for for a very long time, you may have met some of the synagogue of Satan from time to time. They're challenging people, difficult people who want to upset and destroy rather than to encourage and build. There are doors of opportunity that the Lord has set and no one can shut them, the Bible says. No one can shut them. Only He has the key. And there will be times when all we have to do is hold on tight to the Lord by faith. Even if the earthquakes of shaking are going on around us, but we will remain as strong pillars in his temple. And we need to hear that the Spirit of God is speaking uh, to us uh, to bring us into line with the Word of God. So let's pray as we as we hear God's word. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your favour. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which is powerful. And even though the uh, communicator is not powerful, your spirit is powerful. And we know, Lord, that you can use the words of your scripture preached to touch and turn around lives wherever they may be. And so, Lord, we ask you that by your spirit you will do so. We ask you, Lord, that you will help us as we hear and bring our lives into line with your word. We pray that you'll hear our prayers, prayers that want a door to be opened, that cry to you to see a door of release, that cry to you to see a door of opportunity, that cry to you to see a door of hope being opened to us. Help us, Lord, as we do so. Be with us now, we ask. Let your name be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.